एवरीवन सो हेयर इज द लास्ट गर्ल बाय नादिया मुराद पार्ट वन चैप्टर एट आई होप यू आर टू लाइक इट सो लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड चैप्टर एट द फर्स्ट टाइम आई सा एन इस्लामिक स्टेट मिलीटेंट अप क्लोज वॉज सिक्स डेज इन टू द सीज वी हैड रन आउट ऑफ फ्लोर एंड ड्रिंकेबल वाटर सो आई वेंट विद अदकी एंड टू ऑफ अवर नाइसिस रोजान एंड नसरी टू जालोज हाउस टू गेट सप्लाइज इट वॉज ओनली ए फ्यू मिनट्स वॉक फ्राम अवर हाउस टू जालोज थ्रू ए नैरो एली एंड इट वॉज अनयूजल टू इस्लामिक स्टेट मेम्बर्स ऑन द विलेज रोड्स दे स्टेट ऑन द आउटस्कर्ट्स ऑफ द विलेज मैन इन द चेक पॉइंट्स टू मेक श्योर नो वन ट्राई टू स्केप स्टिल वी वर टेरीफाइड टू लिव होम Stepping out of the front door was like walking onto another planet. Nothing about Kocho seemed familiar or comforting. Normally, the alleyways and street would be full of people, kids playing, and their parents shopping in the small convenience store or the pharmacy. But now the village was empty and quiet. Stay close to me, I whispered to Adke, who bowed a head braver than the rest of us. We moved, we moved quickly, shuffling through the alley in a huddle. I was so scared I felt as if I were hallucinating we ran from our own shadows my mother told us to go you don't need the man she said and we agreed we had been sitting around the house doing nothing but watching tv and crying growing thinner and weaker by the day my brothers at least went to the jeevat and when they came home after telling us what the mukhtar or islamic state commander said they punched numbers into their cell phones still trying to find someone who would help us until they collapsed from hunger and exhaustion my brothers were fighter like our father and i had never seen them so hopeless it was my turn to do something to help there is no grand design to kocho no one who mapped out all the homes and street when the village was settled so it would all make sense in the end If you own land you can build whatever you want on it wherever you want and so the village is haphazard and can be designed to walk through houses expand in such unpredictable ways that they can seem alive and the alleyways zigzag around these houses in a maze that would confuse anyone who had not memorized the layout of the village and memorizing it takes a lifetime of walking from home to home Salo's house was at the very end of the village and all that separated him from the world outside Kocho was a brick wall beyond that the desert like cinder stretched toward Mosul which was now the capital of the Islamic state in Iraq we pushed through the metal gate and walked into the kitchen the house was empty and tidy with no sign that Salo and his family had left in a rush but i was scared being inside it seemed haunted by their absence finding some flour and water and a case of baby formula we loaded the supplies into bags as quickly as we could without talking on our way out rozan pointed to the garden wall where a brick had fallen out leaving a hole at about waist height none of us had been brave enough to look for long at the militants we could see from our roof where we felt too exposed the wall though provided some cover and through that hole we would be able to see one of the first checkpoints leading out of kocho do you think there is daesh out there rosan wondered and walked into the garden crouching beside the wall looking at one another the three of us dropped what we carried and joined her pressing our foreheads against the wall to get a good view of the world outside 
about 200 yards away a few militants manned a checkpoint that used to belong to the peshmerga and the iraqi army before them they were dressed in baggy black pants and black shirts and their weapons hung by their sides we watched their movements as though they held a code their feet tapping on the sandy road their hands moving while they talked to one another and each gesture filled us with dread a few minutes earlier we had been so scared at the possibility of running into a militant on our walk but now we could not tear ourselves away from the sight of them i wished we could hear what they were saying maybe they were planning something and we could understand better what was waiting for us bring some news to help our brothers fight maybe they were gloating about taking sinzer if we heard that we would get so angry we would fight back what do you think they are talking about rozan whispered nothing good adhiki said snapping us back to reality come on let's go we promised mom we would deliver things things quickly we walked home in a state of disbelief nasreen broke the silence they are the same as the people holding basu captive she said she must be so scared the alley felt even narrower and we walked as quickly as we could trying to stay calm but when we got home and told my mother what we had seen how close they were to the home where jalo's children had slept only days before nasreen and i could not help it we began to cry i wanted to be hopeful and strong but i needed my mother to understand how scared i was so that she would comfort me they are so close i said we are in their hands if they want to do anything bad to us they can we have to wait and pray my mother replied maybe we will be rescued maybe they won't hurt us maybe we will be saved somehow not a day went by that she did not say something like that our clothes turned gray from dust and sweat but we did not think about changing we stopped eating and drank only small amounts of tepid water out of plastic bottles that had been left in the sun the power went out and stayed out for the rest of the seas we ran the generator just enough to charge our cell phones and to watch tv when the news was showing reports on the war with isis which it almost always was the headlines made us feel hopeless close to 40 children had died on top of mount sinzer from starvation and dehydration and many more had died while fleeing basika and bahzani two major yazidi villages close to mosul had been taken over by isis but luckily most of the people there had been able to flee to iraqi kurdistan thousands of yazidi women and girls from across sinzer had been abducted abducted sorry we heard that isis was using them as sex slaves karakos a majority christian town in nineveh had fallen and almost its entire population had fled to iraqi kurdistan where they were living as refugees in half built malls and tents set up in church gardens shitty turkmen in talafar were struggling to escape their own seas ISIS had almost made it all the way to Erbil but the Americans had stopped them to protect their consulate they said which also giving cover to the Yazidis trapped on Mount Sinzer with air strikes Baghdad was in chaos the American president Obama was calling what was happening to the Yazidis a potential genocide but no one talked about the siege of Kocho we were living in a new world 
life in Gojo stopped as people stayed inside for fear of being seen by ISIS. It was strange to be so removed from the other families in the village. We were used to visitors coming over until late at night, spending mealtimes with friends and talking across rooftops before going to sleep. With ISIS surrounding Gojo, even whispering to the person lying next to you at night seemed dangerous. We tried to go unnoticed as to ISIS might forget we were there. Even getting skinnier seemed like a way of protecting ourselves, as though if we stopped eating, eventually we would become invisible. People ventured from home only to check on relatives, get more supplies, or help out if someone was sick. Even then, they walked quickly and always towards shelter, like insects running away from a broom. One night though, in spite of ISIS, we gathered together as a village to celebrate Batsami, a holiday observed mostly by Yazidi families originally from Turkey. It normally takes place in December, but a villager named Khalaf, whose family celebrates the holiday, thought we needed the ceremony now when fear kept us from one another and we were close to losing hope. Batsami is a time to pray to Tawasi Malik, but even more important to us during the seas, it is also a time to remember Yazidis who have been forced to leave their homeland. Yazidis like Khalafs and Sitar who had once lived in Turkey before the Ottomans drove them out. All of Kocho was invited to Khalaf's house where four men who were thought to have clean souls because they were unmarried were going to bake the holy basmi bread. We waited until the sun set and then people began pouring out of their homes toward Khalaf's. On the way, we cautioned one another not to draw attention to what we were doing. Don't make noise, we whispered as we walked through the village street. I was with Adke and we were both terrified. If ISIS discovered us, I knew. Khalaf would be punished for conspiring to perform an infidel's ritual, but I did not know what else the militants might do. I hoped it was not too late to bring our case before God. The lights were on inside Khalaf's house and people crowded around the baking bread, which is left to puff off on a special dome before being blessed by the head of the household. If the bread stays whole, it brings good luck. If it breaks, something bad might happen to the family. The bread was plain because we were under seas. Normally, it is studded with nuts and raisin, but it was sturdy and round and was and showed no sign of breaking, except for the sound of soft crying and the occasional pop of the wood in the oven. Kalaf's house was quiet. The familiar smell of the smoke from the oven settled over me like a blanket. I did not look around to see if Vala or other school friends, whom I had not seen since the siege started, were there. I wanted to focus on the ritual. Kalaf began to pray, May the God of this holy bread take my soul as a sacrifice for the whole village, he said, and the weeping grew louder, some of the men trying to calm their wives. But I thought it was brave, not weak, to cry there in Khalaf's house, where the sound might carry out to the checkpoints. Afterward, Aditi and I walked home in silence, retracing our steps back through the front door and onto the roof, where those who had stayed behind to guard the house sat upright on their mattresses, relieved that we had returned safely. 
the women had all taken to sleeping on one side of the room the men on the other my brothers were still constantly on their phones and we wanted to spare them our crying which we knew would only make them feel worse that night i managed to sleep a little until just before the sun came up and my mother nudged as awake it's time to go downstairs she whispered and i tiptoed down the ladder into the dark courtyard praying that no one could see us in my family it was hazi one of my half brothers who talked the most about villagers rebelling against isis militants still told the men at the jewat that if we did not convert to islam they would take us to mount sinzer but hazi was sure they were lying they just want to keep us calm he insisted they want to make sure we won't fight back every once in a while i saw hazi whispering over our garden wall with our neighbors and it looked as if they were planning something they watched closely as islamic state convoys drove by the village they have just come from a maskare hazi would say turning his head as they raced by sometimes he would stay up all night watching tv anger filling him until the sun was high the next morning Hazi was not the only one in the village thinking about ways to revolt. Many families like ours hid weapons from ISIS and they discussed ways to get them and attack the checkpoints. The men had trained as fighters and wanted to prove themselves, but they also knew that no matter how many Islamic state members they managed to kill with their buried knives or AK-47, they would still be more along the road and that eventually no matter what they did a lot of people from the village would end up dead if they tried to fight even if we all got together and killed the militants who were stationed just around the village we would have now here to go they controlled every road out of kochu and had cars and trucks and all the weapons they seized from us and the iraqi army uprising was not a plan it was a fantasy but for men like hazi the thought of fighting back was all that kept them sane while we waited every day men from the village gathered in the jewat to try to come up with a plan if we could not escape or fight our way out or hide could we trick the militants maybe if we told them that we would convert to islam they would give us more time it was decided that if a militant threatened or touched one of kochu's women or girls then and only then would be stole by pretending to convert but the plan was never carried out when the women plotted it was to try to come up with ways we could hide the men if isis came to kill them there were plenty of places in kochu where the militants would not know where to look deep barely wet wells and basements with hidden entrances even bales of hay and sacks of animals filled might keep the men safe long enough for them to avoid being killed but they refused to consider hiding we would rather be slaughtered than leave you alone with daesh they said and so while we waited to find out our fate at the hands of isis and lost hope that anyone was coming to save us i tried to face every possibility of what could happen to me and my family i started to think about dying before isis came we were not used to young people dying and i did not like talking about death just the thought of it frightened me then in early 
two young people from Kochu had died suddenly. First, a border policeman named Ismail was killed in a terrorist attack while working south of Kochu in Al-Qaeda influenced areas where ISIS was already taking root. Ismail was about Hazni's age, quiet and devotee. It was the first time someone from Kochu was killed by ISIS and everyone started to worry about their family members who had taken jobs with the government. Hasni was at the police station in Sinzar when they brought Ismail's body in and so we heard about his death before most people in the village, even before his own wife and family. They were poor as we were and Ismail had joined the military as my brother's head because they needed the money. That morning, I walked the long way to school, avoiding his house. I could not bear passing by, knowing that he was dead when his family inside had yet to find out. As word spread through the village, men began firing their rifles into the air in mourning and all the girls in the classroom screamed when they heard the shots. Yazidis considered it a blessing to prepare a body for burial, sometimes sitting with it for hours until the sun came up. My brother Hajni prepared his smile. He washed the body, braided his hair, dressed him in white, and when his widow brought him the blanket they had slept in on their first night as a married couple, Hajni wrapped her husband in it. A long line of ledgers followed his body to the edge of town before it was loaded onto a truck to be driven to the graveyard. A few months later, my friend Shirin was accidentally shot by her nephew while he played with a hunting rifle on their farm. I had been with Shirin the night before she was killed. We talked about exams and her two mischievous brother who had been arrested for fighting. Shirin brought up a smile. She had a dream the night before he died. She told me, in the dream, something really huge happened in Kocho. Everyone was crying, she said. Then, sounding a little guilty, she confessed. I think it was about Ismail dying. Now I am sure the dream must have been about her own death too, or about her nephew, who refused to leave the house after the accident, or even about ISIS coming to Kocho. My mother prepared Shireen. My friend's hands were stained brownish-red with henna and then tied loosely together with a white scarf. Because she was unmarried, her hair was arranged into a single long braid. If she had any gold, it was buried with her. If man can be buried, then gold can be buried too. Yajidis say, like smile, Shireen was washed and shrouded in white and her body was marched in front of a long, mournful crowd to the edge of town where a truck waited to take her the rest of way. These rituals are important because the afterlife, according to Jesuitism, is a demanding place where the dead can suffer like humans. They rely on us to take care of them, showing us what they need through our dreams. Often someone will see a loved one in a dream who tells them, that they are hungry or who they notice is wearing threadbare clothing. When they wake up, they give food or clothing to the poor, and in return, God gives their dead food and clothing in the afterlife. We consider these good deeds return to being a pious Yazidi partly because we believe in reincarnation. If you were a good person and a faithful Yazidi during your lifetime, your soul will be born anew and you will rejoin the community that mourn you. 
Before that can happen, you have to prove to God and his angels that you deserve to go back to earth, to a life that might even be better than the one you left. While our souls travel the afterlife waiting to be reincarnated, what happens to our bodies, our flesh, after our souls have no more use for it, is much simpler. We are washed and then buried, wrapped in cloth, and the grave is marked with a ring of stones. There should be very little separating us from the dirt, so we can more easily give our bodies back, clean and whole, to the earth that made us. It is important that Yazidis are buried properly and prayed for. Without these rituals, our souls may never be reborn and our bodies may never go home to where they belong. Thank you for joining me. I hope you like it.